welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Uh, our guest this week is none other than Aaron McCormick, author of the book Unbounded. I'm very excited to bring this to you. Uh, the subtitle of that book, Unbounded, Journey to Your Within. We are going to talk about all about uh, how how the different expectations in your life that you they come from the, the, the different parts of your life, from your from your past, from your from your uh, your family, from your social circle, how they bind you and how they hold you back from from your own true potential, from your own true joy. And we're going to talk about the definition of joy and and how to determine what it is that's holding you back. Very excited. Folks, I love almost everybody that I get to talk to on this show. I, I think that they all have... I wouldn't, I wouldn't give you the episode. There are interviews that I never share uh, if I didn't think that they were helpful and they would move you forward. But this particular episode... Uh, I, w- w- the interview itself is about 50 minutes, a little bit, a little bit less than an hour. The, what I'm, what I'm actually giving to you, I'm, I'm not kidding. Aaron and I talked offline for two hours on either side of this interview. Uh, this is one of those, this is a very special conversation and I hope you guys can enjoy it before we get to that. And coming up in a second, I'm going to tell you guys a couple of quick pieces of intelligence you guys can use this week. Uh, but, uh, here is John with a word from our sponsor. You guessed it. Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Home today is so much more than it was yesterday. But at Rocket Mortgage, home is still all about you. During these challenging times, the top priority at Rocket Mortgage is the health and safety of the communities they serve. And one thing that will never change is their team's commitment to giving you the best mortgage experience possible. That's why if you need mortgage support, their team of experts is there to answer questions and offer solutions. They understand that hardships happen and they are here to help. Whether that means working with you to save money on your mortgage or finding a new way to navigate payments. If you have questions, the team at Rocket Mortgage has answers. They know how important your home is to you because you're important to them. If you need mortgage assistance, the home loan experts at Rocket Mortgage are available to help 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. From their home to yours, the team at Rocket Mortgage is with you. Visit rocketmortgage.com tash to learn more. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030. One more thank you to Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Thank you guys so much for making today possible. And now, a little bit of intelligence for your life. We recently uh, have been talking on the radio about how rollerblading is getting a second wind thanks to the pandemic. It's a great way to get outside, great way to exercise while keeping physically distanced from others. Any outdoor exercise is great like that. As a result, Rollerblade, the skate manufacturer, is saying that sales are up more than 300% from what they would typically be this time of year. And in May, they had the biggest shipping month of the past 20 years. Uh, about 20 years ago, a lot of people haven't had a pair of rollerblades on for about 20 years, uh, that amount of time, or even or even longer. And, and uh, they're finding that it's actually not like riding a bike. More falls and accidents are occurring while people are trying to figure it out again. So go ahead and get yourself some protective gear and uh, do a couple laps around the driveway uh, before, you, before you get out there. Full disclosure... I love rollerblading. I don't care how I look. I absolutely love it. I used to play roller hockey when I was a kid. Uh, I think it is fantastic. I don't care how uh, late 80s you guys may think it is, but I, I happen to love it. Real fast, one last thing. There is so much stuff on TV right now that it's giving us something called viewer paralysis, and I've experienced this. It's what uh, This is according to the Nielsen Data Service. They say between Netflix, 
Hulu, Disney+, Plus, HBO, HBO Max, and all the on-demand were overwhelmed by choice. And 21% of viewers, viewers who have streaming TV options say they simply give up watching if they can't make a choice when they're bombarded with options. Another 58% are what Nielsen calls go-backers. They go back to their favorite traditional TV channels, skip streaming options altogether, and just watch whatever is on in that moment. Sociology professor Barry Schwartz says viewer paralysis is the result of what's called the paradox of choice. Basically, when we're overwhelmed with options, we have a hard time picking just one because we think something better is out there. But the fact is, we just need to pick a good enough option if you want to veg out, and then you move on. Professor Schwartz says it's because people who don't get hung up on making the best choice and go with good enough, you feel better about your choices than those who agonize over decisions. I also feel like, look, we have so many options, and they are each little, each little, uh, each little, you know, uh, streaming option is just another like ten bucks or fifteen bucks or whatever. And all of these people who have cut the cord, who no longer are paying for cable, all of a sudden you're spending the same amount of money on all these different streaming options just so you can keep up with all the different shows. And at a certain point, we're going to rebundle all of these shows and streaming options into new bundles. We're basically going to get cable 2.0. It's going to be the same thing on the back end. Anyway, I'm just saying, I think that's where it's, gonna, where it's headed. Uh, and I ha- absolutely have this viewer paralysis. I spend way too much time thinking about what I am going to watch. Probably more time than I actually do watching. That's not true. I spend way too much time watching. Anyway, thank you guys uh, for being part of this. I'm very excited to bring this to you. Here we go with my interview with Aaron McCormick. Aaron McCormick, author of Unbounded Journey to Your Within. Thank you so much for being a part of the show with us today. Gib, awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I mean, we've been talking a lot before we even got started here, and I'm, I'm very hyped, very excited to be, to be having this conversation with you. Uh, I mean, there's, there's so many places that we could start this, but I guess let's start, let's start by framing our whole conversation around uh, the title of your book. It's Unbounded. So what does it mean to be unbounded? Well, first off, uh, the, the second part of that title is really, really important, which is journey to your within. So to your question, like, what does it mean to be unbounded and what does it have to do with journeying to your within? You know, if you think about how we all enter this world, you know, if you got kids, you got, mm-hmm. you know, little siblings, any of us that ever observe children, babies, toddlers, they have this spark. They like have this essence, which is a personality, an aura. When people say someone has a kind spirit mm-hmm. or mean spirit, that's the same as saying personality. So the right. point is we have these things that are what we are before we learn anything, before there is external stimuli that's shaping and kind of coercing or morphing us, what is that thing? And that thing gradually begins to change through our life according to, at various levels of pressure, to the point where we're sort of detoured from our original truth on Mm. all kinds of topics, right? So the things that hold us back or restrict us from living our actual truth, which means we don't really have internal conflict in anything, that is your ultimate truth, where you're not conflicted. There may be conflict around you, and it doesn't mean everything is a utopia, but you, in your deliberate actions, relationships, career, uh, things you do with your time, there is no conflict, because as babies, we don't really have that conflict. We just don't stand for it. And when we get much older, same thing, right? Older people tend to not live for other ideals or expectations they kind of comfortable in their own skin. Right. So it's like at the two bookends, Gib, like we are, we are unbounded at the two bookends of life. But it's that part in the middle, that huge part where we are completely restricted and we don't realize it. We're restricted from our own selves mm. because of these absorbed 
binders. And what are binders? Binders are consumed energy, expectations, labels, ideals, belief systems that to greater, to small and great degrees, just really, you know, conflict. And we end up, you know, not very congruent or living a life and experience that's not so in line with our truth. So the point here is, is how do we get to the thing that is unconsciously, or, or how do we integrate and be more in line with that unconscious force? Since mm-hmm. science says 90% of our thought is unconscious, right. how, do, how do we consciously connect to the unconscious so that our life is a lot more smooth internally, which then brings the outward fluidity with it? I mean, the answer, the question I'm going to ask this is, yeah, how do we do that? But I want to go back to, uh, to a couple of things that you said there. First, what is uh, consumed energy? When you say consumed energy, what does that mean? Consumed energy. So um, everything is energy, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. And someone has a feeling, a bias, an expectation. Someone, all of us have things that chafe us and rub mm-hmm. us certain ways. So when, you, when you're a child, when you're a baby, you have all these energies or things, dispositions, dimensions, dimension meaning experiences, because parents and siblings and other people have all had their own separate experiences. And those things shape how they then interact with you, expect from you, impress upon you. And you got schoolmates, you have TV, you have pop culture, you have all these things. And, and, and those are all, those all represent energy. Mm-hmm. But you yourself are energy. So you come in pure with whatever your disposition is. And that disposition predates you even being probably a human baby. I mean, I, everyone has different belief systems, but what I've learned, Gib, is when you look across all religion and across history or back through history, the one thing that seems to be consistent is we as humans believe that, yes, we are energy and we're connected to the greater energy, Allah, God, Jesus, Buddha, etc. The Bible talks about us being one with God. So if we're this spark, if you will, this dispersed spark, and we're all individualized, but we all are actually the one spark, but we come here as this individual spark, what was the purpose of you incarnating and having your successes, your failings, your pain? What, what did you come here to experience? Right. That all represents the essence of you, and, and particularly I'm talking about your personality at the, at the outset, and um, that is what is shaped by our external stimuli. Some of us are shaped more than others, right. meaning some of us are more consumed and more fearful of disagreeing with the external stimuli, and then others are, they feel more pain with not living their actual internal truth. And those mm-hmm. are the ones that end up doing things at very young ages that belie expectation or they become great at something because they're just doing what is really them. Right. Nobody's really better than anybody else. Right. Just some are more in line than others with their actual truth. Say what you will about Mark Zuckerberg, about whether you know his morality or immorality or whatever he is now the guy was laser focused on on his excellence from a very early age and obviously i mean you know the everybody knows the story dropping out of harvard which everybody would say is a bad idea <laughs> right. if you're in right. harvard right now finish up bro cuz that's a that's a good call uh but but he was so laser focused that like he just knew that he i'm i'm making the best thing and boy right. boy was he right yeah like the old adage know thyself so he right. had some sort of sense of what he's here to do and how much am I going to allow the expectation that I got to do this thing? Right. You know, you, you know, you hear this with, you know, athletes the same way. Do I finish college? Do I not? It's like, am I going to follow what's expected or what seems to be the safe route, even though my heart 
which is your spirit. Heart is like the figurative, you know, the literal version of what we refer to as the spirit. That's that unspoken, somewhat illogical, illogical meaning it may fly in the face of the stuff that we've learned. Mm-hmm. So, if, so if you were to contrast, you know, the heart and the mind, the mind is well, however old we are, right? 10, 12, 40, 60 years old, whereas the spirit who knows how old that is? We won't know how this whole thing works until we all pass on. Right. Maybe if the way the world is going, Gib, we'll connect dots even sooner. Hey, hey. <laughs> <Right>? uh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so I guess, I guess it sort of begs another question of, of, of there are certain learned behaviors, right? I mean, I have children and I watch them and children are, um, uh, not to get like Freud in here, but there, there, there's a lot of id involved in the in kids, right? They, they, you have to kind of train them to develop their super ego, uh, to basically have these regulators so that they aren't like if my, my kids, for example, if it allowed, they would just run around in their underwear all day, and but but I, they need to wear clothes. Like right, you're going right. to school, you need to wear clothes. So there are some learned behaviors yes. that are beneficial to all of us as a society, and. And there are some where you, where like, like you know, you're talking about like Gloria Vanderbilt style uh, banality, where you you repress emotion because it is it's considered rude to express. Like that's obviously, I would say, argue that that's bad, right? You get that sort of 1950s style of repression uh, of emotional yep. repression, and I would say that that that's why we got the 60s, right? You have this big blowing up of that repression. So you want to be able to fully express yourself. But there are certain elements that uh, that are can be that we need to smooth out in order to function as a society. So how do you find that balance between the things that are your honest self and the things that are kind of necessary? Again, I mean, I'm using a very moderate example here, but I think we can find the, the line is going to be somewhere more nuanced. My kids want to be in their underwear all the time. How do I like they would never get dressed. They would just wear underwear. <laughs> right. Talk about an apropos question. I've got a four year old and an almost two year old. Right. And I am, you know, amazed that they are masters. And I don't mean physical masters or genius like that. I just mm-hmm. mean I'm so aware that these little beings are my peers. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely my peers, but yet, as you mentioned, they're not right. Like they're you. You got to protect them so they don't go in the street. You got to make yep. sure that basic things that you know keep them safe. You, you got to. How do we find this balance? Regulatory of, function. Yes, re- and but also true self. Let, right. Let it, exactly. So letting them flourish, helping them in areas. And, and in the case of my son, who's the older one, I mean, there's so many things that he loves and deeply appreciates and super excels at that if I wanted to exert, exert my or exert additional binders on him, so to speak, that would be me trying to guide him to become things that it would please me that he becomes. So I'd be going, wow, you are lefty. You are awesome at baseball. You naturally mm-hmm. already you know, excel, and I was good. My dad was good. That's it. None of us were pros, although my dad almost made the White Sox. Whole different story. You know, I'm going <laughs> to groom you that way. Right. So now I've got this expectation. Oh, man. Just, you're just like, you're kind of like speaking to my heart right now, and I, I don't want to even say it out loud, but I would just would love so much for my son to be a professional baseball player. I mean, just, I can just, I can even picture myself wearing all the gear, sitting in the front row yes. of the games, retired, <laughs> right. eating nothing but hot dogs next to Tommy Lasorda. Oh, he'll probably be dead by then. But yeah, like, of course. but like, just, and watching my kid, oh my, it's just, 
it's amazing. And I know there's a lot of people that have those kinds of expectations. For me, uh, and, and, and apparently for you too, that expectation is very, for baseball is, you know, is, is very much there. But I know we all have expectations for our kids that are maybe not so... Uh, yeah. Uh, sport, uh, competition driven. Yeah, so like you have this expectation, you're putting it on your kid. Um, people do that. It's what we naturally do because it's, like I said, it's our energy that this right. is... Everything right. that a parent is represent potential binders. I say potential because a binder restricts from what one naturally is and really deeply wants anyway. But if it's what the child actually is geared for and it's their purpose, which you won't know that till their life is lived, then it effectively wasn't a binder. It was, it was motivation. It was help. Mm-hmm. We don't know what that child's purpose is and what they came to experience, what sufferings that are soul lessons for them, what accomplishments. So I'm, I'm, I walk this line of trying to be this just positive stimuli, and, and that's, that means challenging stimuli too, but it's like I try not to allow my strong preference because I respect the right. brilliance and the power of this soul and that I am not the maker of that soul. I'm simply a steward of a sleeping giant. Children are sleeping giants, just like the people we manage in a secular world. Like the best leaders don't lord it over or think that I got here because I'm this way and this person will probably always be in this role or they'll never get to my level. The best leaders know that we're all incredibly powerful and we all were once little. It's a sleeping giant. So I, I put him in front of a lot of stuff that, that he loves. I let mm-hmm. him experience it and I don't, and I cheer him on to, I match his energy. I don't overpower his energy. So if a child loves baseball and they always want to play it, you match that. If a child isn't, but you're like, son, to be great, you got, let's go, let's go, let's go. And you're berating and you're writing. Mm-hmm. That is your exerting your own energy, your disposition, your preference on the child. So I think this is just a challenge we all face as parents on how do we motivate without lording, lording it over, so to speak, yeah. and just kind of owning the kid's journey. Yeah, there, but there takes a lot of self-awareness there, right? Like you've got to be able to, because many of us, I mean, myself included, we don't notice our own binders. Like I don't notice the things, the the energies that are that are, put on me versus the energies that come from myself, right? Like the, the desires that I have, like how much of that comes from from the singing of my soul and how much of that comes from external pressure and oh, expectation so and a desire that. to people please. So, I'm going to you, give you a magnifying glass where you can start to see in multiple topics, you, it would be a way for you to start to recognize which ones were artificial and which ones were... Uh, you know, are at your core. All right, because let's get to that. Because in order to in order to understand how we are, and in order for us to understand how we're doing this to our kids, we have to understand how it was done to us, and we need to understand where where our energies are now, like where our focus comes from now. Uh, you know, whether it's external or internal. So yes, give us that. Give us that lens. Yeah. So let's think about this. Uh, if we think about our our beginnings. I talked about earlier, and maybe it was in our previous conversation before we started here, babies, toddlers, they have a single gear. They have a single motivation. This was what I consider all of our purpose. We all have the exact same purpose at a macro level, but yet we're all in completely nuanced and all kinds of different paths to that purpose. But the purpose, and we hear this a lot, but here's a word picture for you. The purpose of all of us is joy, and the word picture is the toddler. You take a toddler, and obviously they are completely against anything that robs them of their joy at that moment. You, they want that rather than take it away from them. Mm. They get they why they immediately resist. They want to be seen, but they don't want to be restricted. 
Mm-hmm. So if, if they're looking at the mom or dad and the dad tries to control where they're walking, the child grunts. And this is around one or two and they're just walking. They, they want they strongly want independence. But if you completely turn your body away from them and pay them no attention, that's a big problem. They're right. like, no, notice me, look at me, but just don't restrict me. Interact with me, recognize me, see what I'm here to do. Oh, uh, but just don't control me. Big time. I, mean, I noticed that. that- I noticed that with my kids during quarantine uh, homeschool, you know, the oldest required so much more homeschool attention that my three-year-old was acting out in these crazy ways because you could just tell by like noon, he just hadn't had enough attention. It was, it was, it was palpable. Right. Right. So if you look at that and you just think through, okay, so joy as a child, as a baby is, is why we're here. Nobody seeks the pain, at least not consciously. So our conscious motivation is to experience joy. Now, later on, as we get older and we learn not just manners, which, which are good things, because the second reason we're here, speaking of manners, is to service others, to feel the connectedness of humanity. That's why humans are very social beings. So first, it is my experience. I came here for a reason. I want to experience my power, my success, my might, my independence, Mm -hmm. my ingenuity, my creativity, all this stuff. And I Mm -hmm. want to be recognized. I want you to see my soul. And then the second thing I want to do is I want to affect you somehow. I want to connect with you. I want to understand. So I want to understand you. So if those are the two basic reasons that we're here, now you go through your life and you start applying whether you are in spaces of joy or whether you're pursuing things that bring joy. Now that brings a separate topic of well, what actually is joy. Right. If you just, right. If you we, just, yeah, go ahead. Well, because when you, look at the, when you look at the toddlers, like we know, for example, like we know as adults, like what, a lollipop is going to bring him a lot of joy. And this, this is going to bring up an interesting question, right? The lollipop is going to bring him a lot of, uh, of very short-term, very now joy. But long-term, there are going to be consequences for that. So sometimes the things that bring us immediate joy are not the same as the things that bring us sustained, soul-wrenching joy, right? And you, and you basically just described the difference between happiness and mm. joy. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about this definition of joy then. So joy is a condition of the heart in the sense that it is in line with the macro reason you're here. Mm-hmm. And the macro reasons are to create to 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 because like we're co-creators again most religions the bible talks about us being Mm co-creators so creativity often brings joy uh you know things that then things that seem artistic but are not always artistic but they're impacting and affecting each other like like we we always talk about how uh, the universal force is love a lot of people talk about love and light so happiness the experience i get zipping around in a lamborghini and that giddiness or, right. or going down a roller coaster is happiness, is elation, you know, so to speak. But joy might be uh, creating something that, um, that uh, um, speaks to why I'm here, speaks mm-hmm. to my own power. I don't have any power when I drive that car. I have some ego power of, look, I bought it. You know, so there's, you know, there, <laughs> we could go down a lot of rabbit holes about how these two are nuanced. But if you just research the difference between happiness and joy, you'll get how joy is connected to the heart, and the heart is connected to the spirit, and the spirit is the essence of what we are. So going back to what we first started here on, how do you determine whether 
your ideals and your motivations are anchored to your true self versus other external stimuli. When we first experience an idea or a goal or a uh, expectation, it's it's career, it's marriage, it's a, a person, we have an immediate knowing inside of us, yay or nay. We absolutely know. And it's only sometimes there for a moment before the weight of the binders of what you should be liking take over. But this is part of understanding your body because your physical body is telling you things and it's intuition, it's, it's mind, it's, 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 it's body reactions, it's all the above. And you kind of know, but often what happens, Gib, is the fear of the consequence of averting or not doing that thing that has strong binders all over it, which means societal external stuff, the fear of going against that is stronger to the mind than, than listening or the consequence of not listening to that internal gut. And so we tend to say, well, gee, I got all these external effects if I go against this thing versus if I just slightly just dilute myself a little bit or bend a little bit, that's no big deal. I don't, I don't get an immediate negative consequence. So we gradually are, are uh, suppressing things that originally was that no, it was a no. And in mm. fact, I talk about in the book, Gib, how none of us are ever dumped. It does not exist. Every single relationship before somebody formally leaves you, supposedly cheats or whatever it is, you completely knew that there was misalignment a long time ago. We are never, ever blindsided because we are all energy and our receptors are always firing, but the mind overpowers the spirit or the energy that's there. We're in a very dense physical reality. Hmm. So one of the things I talk about is how do you become more aware and become more heart-driven, spirit-driven. And, and, and the last thing I'll say on that is, or to demonstrate is, you know, you, I, t- I mentioned earlier how the mind is some amount of years old, but the essence or the spirit is who knows right. how, how much older. Well, anytime you, if you look at your decisions and your makeup, meaning your essence and how you function, just ask yourself this one question to know how you are. Once you know how you are, naturally, you can, you can start to deliberately affect it. Here's how we determine whether we are more mind-driven or more spirit-driven, heart-driven, naturally. We have a bias. We were born with a specific leaning, and sometimes it gets exacerbated through, through our experiences. The simple question is this, Gib. In this situation or that situation, pick any one you want, or, or if, you, if you're good enough to remember your whole life and just kind of ask about a pattern, you can try that. Do I feel more discomfort in upsetting an external reality or norm that could be your family's expectations, mm-hmm. your religion's expectations, your race or nationality expectations, the expectations of your sex, whatever it is, does that, and I mean like the mass of those groups or whatever those things are, right. does, does the idea of upsetting those things trigger you to feel more anxiety at that notion than not doing what's in your gut to do. Right. Some of, some of us are naturally biased to not want to upset our internal self. Right. And that's the most important. And they'll go through all costs. I happen to be one of those. Right. And there is no better or worse. We all designed how we are, and it's all meant for our soul learnings. But once you know how you're wired, you, you can begin to see where you probably uh, are going to have to, if you want to get more aligned with yourself, you can begin to see where you have to start consciously making adjustments. 
Right. So, so I mean, so I guess what you're saying is, in moment to moment, decision to decision, and am I more concerned with the um, with the trappings of of the immediate social consequences of my decision, or am I more concerned with the resonant energy of my soul, with the resonant singing of of my of my gut, like this is what I want to do? Uh, so yes. That so uh, <laughs> like. Uh, like Biff Lohman, right? Biff Lohman just knew that he wanted to be outside with the sun on his face working the farm. And his dad, Willie, to go to um, uh, Death of a Salesman, his dad, Willie, just wanted him to be, you know, wanted it, thought he was going wrong by, by, not, by not listening to, by not working a regular job. Right. Um, and so, so are, we, are we, is that the lens? Like you just have to sit there and go, wait, what is my primary driver right now? Am I more concerned about what this person thinks? Or am I more concerned about getting what makes my soul sing? Is that the lens? Well, that's one lens, and that's in the social context. Uh, and yes, there's it's circumstantial. Every circumstance in life, every situation, you have a truth. That truth is there. What do you do with the truth? Is the question, and that's what you're talking about. You're like, in, in you know, do I, am I adhering it to it, or am I kind of gradually, softly conforming? And then we wonder why later in life. We look up and we have this job right. that is not the right. dream job. And then we look at others and we assume that they're so blessed and so right. superior in some way. How do you get to drive race cars for a living? Or how do you get to right. talk on the radio like you get to do, Gib, for a living? What a cool job. Or how do you get to – well, art has to do with serving your true creative force mm -hmm. and serving others. That has it, That is not limited to – the things that we consider show business or painting or the things right. we call art. Art is everything right. that serves you genuinely, not because... Look at how Steve Jobs that. approached technology. He approached it like art. And you can say whatever you right. want to get about him and, right. and how he was as a person, his acerbic personality. But, but he influenced the design and culture of technology uh, because he approached it like an art. Yes, and what's ironic is a huge desire to advance people, humanity. So as Kirk as he seemed, his personality, and as demanding and as driven as he seemed, mm -hmm. he actually, in those macro themes you just mentioned, was trying to advance and improve humanity in mass. And sometimes macro thinkers are not as good at the micro. So on a one-on-one -on -one basis, he might he might have been an ass <laughs> to yeah, a lot of people, right, right? right? But when it comes to the, the bigger thing he's trying to shape and what his journey was here to do... He could not go against that. It was not in his DNA to go against it. So the question is, how do we become more aligned with that natural thing that we have? Because we all do want to serve each other. Empathy, and that's another thing I talk about in the book, Gib. I talk about how empathy can make you millions because it has absolutely made me millions. And since I was 22, 23, in business, without a degree, black kids, single parents, raised a single mom, South Side of Chicago, all these external things that said mm -hmm. there's no way I should be where I ended up going in my career. And the, the common little theme was just the basic thing that we've all had since we were babies. It's like, I want to do something that speaks to what I naturally am. And I, I listen, I, I love understanding people and I love to communicate with them. And I love to help hugely love to help. And I hate bullies uh, I don't hate the people, but I hate the, the what bullying is, mm -hmm. and I love to you know to just be a force for good. That's been a thread throughout my entire life, and people have 
said things about me being two years old, three years old, staring at people's mouths, you know, like like wanting to understand what they're saying at, at one and a half even, just fascinated by communication. And when I was in high school, I had a I thought I wanted to be a mechanic because my hobby, and this is a, actually, this is a great uh, a connection to what you were talking earlier about joy. We talked about happiness. I loved cars since I was two or three, four years old. Mm-hmm. I knew stats and all this. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking with my mind, I want to be a mechanic. Right. Yes. That's, that's something I love. Did that for a little bit, banged a few knuckles, got my hands terribly dirty, was no latex gloves, Chicago winters. And, and at least on the outside, I concluded, nope, not for me. Then I said, well, what about computer programming? Yeah, the world is going toward computers and I have an analytical mind and yeah, plus people are going to make money. That's the trends say so. Let me do that. I took computer programming in high school, made some interesting, you know, output designs and stuff that we mm-hmm. create. And I go, no. And then I realized it hit me. I go, I need to be doing something that is working with people. But yet, due to my religious background, it's a whole different topic, Gib. I mean, college was not an option. So I'm like, let's see, I can't be a lawyer, can't be a psychologist. I can either be a trainer, but I can't be a teacher. Teachers require bachelors. So I can be a trainer of some sort, maybe technology or something, you know, in a classroom training people. Um, or I can be in sales. And then I realized sales is what everything is. Every CEO is a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Every president of the U.S. is a salesperson because mm-hmm. you're linking people's needs to to a product or service or a way to deliver that need and you're helping. But so I, I think I think it's something like 90 something percent of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies uh, have at least five years of sales experience prior to becoming CEO. I think there's an astronomical statistic in the association with sales and corporate leadership. Anyway, keep yeah, going. And, and, yeah, but to that point, ironic you say that, one of the things I want to bring awareness to is how uh, disparate the the holistic background usually is. So like the typical CEO was not in sales. There's some sort of pragmatic, you know, it depends on the industry, of course, but they were in product or they were in finance. They want someone that fiscally has the chops to be ultra safe and conservative and be, you know, and what's missing is the, the COO, the chief operating guy is the one that needs all that book stuff and all Mm -hmm. that fiscal shrewd and all that. The salesperson is the, or the CEO is the psychologist Mm-hmm. of the organization. Mm-hmm. They they have to bridge shareholder expectations, customer expectations, employee satisfaction, and they got to and then quality of the product. They got to bridge all these different very nuanced personalities and and agendas into a single cohesive orchestra or theme and when we all and that's what Steve Jobs was great at. So I'm saying that yeah, your best salespeople, especially depending on the complexity of what you're selling, are people people and the CEO mainly interfaces with the external people mm-hmm. and speaks to the internal people, but he's not the functional, specific execution of accounting of this department, that department. Right, right, the right. technical right. stuff is less relevant, yeah. All right, so we've gotten, we've gotten way down the line of, of what a good CEO <laughs> is. And I think it's very, I think it's very useful in, in, as people go about their lives and think about what, what resonates with them. I think that, that's useful. But I want to get back to this idea. Okay, so you, you decide that you need to go into sales uh, and, and because that is your way of resonating with people, because you're 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 trying to listen. At this well, point, you've I'm already really discovered you've, you've you've discovered how to listen to your soul, and you realize, okay, I need to be around people. I can do sales or be a trainer, and you choose sales. Right, and what I'm really getting at there, Gib, is the only thing that separates anyone that is great at anything from those that 
think that they're mediocre is the level or the quality of the connection to what they do uh, or of what they do to their makeup, their strengths, their mm-hmm. passion. And, their, and this is nothing new, but it's, it's amazing how detoured all of us are from the things that we actually really enjoy. And, mm-hmm. and so you, and you sit there and you go, well, they're so gifted. They're so blessed. It's like, no, you're, you're gifted too. The difference is you're more discrambled, if you will, with all the binders that have feared you or kept you captive to never addressing things that you naturally excel at and things that you naturally are a higher vibe or have the most joy Mm -hmm. creating and doing. And so I go through in the business section of the book ways to distill your essence so that that you understand you and what really drives you outside of money. And then it walks through ways that you just live a richer life by making more time to be doing some of those things in the first place. And then you begin to have the mind of an entrepreneur in the sense that you start to reduce external money related stuff. So like you start realizing, gee, I love doing this so much. I actually have more enjoyment in doing that than I do in having that specific high end car or that watch or whatever. So you'll start divesting. And even if it's not high end stuff, even if it's basic stuff, you'll start manipulating your expenses from things that you thought served you because society says it's cool or it's you got to have blah, blah, blah. And just to indulge more in something that you simply enjoy and then you get good at it. And there, this is proven out umpteen zillion times. Right, right, where right. People inadvertently become entrepreneurs because they're doing things that they love or are passionate about. They're good at it. And the energy brings more of that same energy. Connections, random introductions happen or you just start doing it so well that the money replaces your previous income. So I go through multiple scenarios of how we just live a more fulfilling life. And it's not all about the money, although money is just energy too. money will follow uh, inevitably when the the rest. Right. When it's in line. Yeah. Give give us a little bit of a primer on that. I mean, on that business thing, because like we were talking before this started and this is such an apt time for this. Right. We um, what COVID has and and the quarantine and the uh, associated economic downturn has really shown all of us is that there is security in nothing. And so the choices that we've <laughs> right. made, the choices that we've made for security, uh, that where we listened to those binders, those binders of this is what you should do. You need to, you need to live in this way. Uh, we have, we have, has been proven a false sense of security that our security is not in these trappings of the world so what better time than now as the economy reorganizes itself and as as all of society is reorienting for each and every one of us to find that soul resonant purpose um because because there was no security in your previous job so let's get to that like i i I know we got to buy the book all right we got to read the book unbounded uh journey to your within by the way there will be a link to that in the show notes for you guys to click so you can just in one click get the book but um but let's give us a primer on how we can start to unpack because i i know that the binders sound when we talk about as infants when we talk about as as toddlers these binders are simple uh it, it's simple to orient like what is what is happiness versus joy for a toddler it's simple to figure out what is sort of an important thing mm-hmm. to put on them like clothes versus what is suppressing their soul but for those of us that have had years, maybe even decades of living a life oriented around these artificial binders, 
uh, give us a, at least the first couple of steps to start unpacking that as, as we reorganize our lives? Well, first of all, the main thing that has to happen is we have to turn on the power of that other force. It has to get ratcheted up. And that the other force meaning outside of the mind. The mind is binder Latin. The mind is educated, has been told stuff. Mm-hmm. The spirit is the force that is actuating that tiny child. And it was not, and it didn't learn anything. It just is. So how do we let that become front and center? First thing to remember, it, it does not come from motivational rah-rah speak, <laughs> believe it or not. Right. So, so when we think that we can go to a seminar or we can, you know, somebody can get, feed us these ideals, until those ideals become absolute truths, it's just an intellectual exercise. And mm-hmm. the best teacher is experience. So the first thing to engage that heart or that spirit force is to let's go through some some basic realities. The biggest or the most the richest person would give away everything they have, any billionaire, for a little more time. So if we want to quantify this notion that time is worth so much more than money, just go through an exercise for yourself. Right. Every billionaire will give it all up for an extra 30 days, all of it or for an extra year, whatever the, the time increment is. We all have that same amount of time. In fact, when, when the tragedy happened with Kobe and all those other people mm-hmm. on the helicopter, I'm sitting there going, just imagine how many women and men, but let's talk about the women because the wife who survived and is still with us, imagine how many people before this happened might have been thinking, man, I would love to be her. Oh, it would be great to have a husband that's so, you know, what a great family. I would love to trade places with her. None of those people would have wanted to trade places after that happened and be Vanessa. Nobody would. We're all hurting for her. And yet she's got 400 million or however she has, you know, her net worth is at Mm -hmm. this point. Nobody would trade it for that. So and that means we're all actually rich. We all actually have a half a billion dollars in the bank, so to speak. You're already rich. So how so now the question is, what are you doing with that half a billion in virtual money or that that time that you have? So now you got to say, all right, so what I do with it is I spend eight hours of it going to this particular job and then I come home, I go to sleep, et cetera. So I am, I'm squandering. It's like somebody having half a billion dollars and literally burning it and just getting rid of it. That would make you upset, right? So something inside you has to get a little bit incensed, so to speak. You got to go, what am I doing? Right. Why am I doing this? Who taught me this? What makes me think that I, that it's smart to just burn money or in this case to just burn, burn my time. time? Yeah. Right. All the, the little well, the little incremental things that we do to, to alleviate boredom that end up eating an hour, the checking of the feed on social media, the whatever you whatever it is that you may be doing that absolutely interrupts that joy. Well, that's time in general. True to that, too. I'm talking about the job. I'm yeah. saying if you hate your job and you're, you're actually burning billions of dollars because, again, the richest people give away all their billions for more time. So you are doing something as stupid as literally burning money if you are completely emotionally detached and hate your job. Mm-hmm. So now you got to say, all right, wh- why again am I doing, if I got billions already, because that's what time is, it's, it's, it's wealth. It is the wealth. I have the same amount of time as everybody else. What makes me do this? Well, it's all the things that we've learned. So now you slow down and some people are consciously give, they're, they're like consciously saying, Wow, well, I can't work anyway, and I hate my job, so let me go and figure out a trade or learn a new thing, and some people are deliberately doing it. Others of us are still expanding because the lesson is still being learned. Here we are without income, many of us, right, or we're not working, and, and you're surviving. 
and you're making it through. And this was once a huge fear. So that lesson is not lost uh, unconsciously on your soul. So now when it's time for you to go back to work, you just may chafe at it a lot more and you may start to get creative with other ways. But to your question about how do we deliberately do it, we need to take a step back and understand what we are squandering. And then from there you say, okay, well, how do I start spinning it properly? Easy. Do what you actually want to do. Well, how do you do that if I got bills to pay? Well, I need to start making ways and making time to do what I want to do more. So if that means I need to, like I said, reduce an expense here or there because my time is worth more money than being able to check a box and say, but I got this thing. What does that thing, whatever it is, that that item, that couch, that TV, that watch, that car, how much does that joy compare to the time spent doing the whatever it is, the plural things that you actually really enjoy? So you'll start morphing the use of your time. And therein is where the energy or, or the wealth really comes from. And that's why if you look at every person, not every, but most, actually probably is every, that are self-made, not those that have just inherited loads, but those that have gotten there on their own, usually it is, well, there, there's two paths, actually. One is just purely work. I, I, I heard this will make money. And I'm just going to do it. So there's plenty of those out there. They're usually not the most fulfilled. No, they're they, fulfilled. Right. Right. They're fulfilled externally. I've got this huge chain of blank types of stores or whatever it is, and, and I'm fulfilled, but, or I'm, I'm rich. But like the missing. brothers in trading places, uh, Mortimer and uh, you know, in time the, they make the one dollar bet. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. So, so they're not. So that's one way. One way is to just work like crazy, mm-hmm. and and then the other way is to be doing something you love. So if you look at like the goal cast, it's one of the most valuable things on social media to me. Goal cast. I'll plug it because I think it's encouraging. It's motivational. These two or three minute clips of all kinds of people. John Tesh might even have one, and, and things you never knew about them. And how they ended up in these positions of living what seems like a dream life, dream job. And what's crazy is they carried the load of saying, I don't want to be in conflict with me. This thing, Martin Lawrence once said, I don't care if I slept in cars or I was a janitor to, to his dad who thought that that was a silly you know, job to, you know, to consider. It does so much for me that I do it on whatever the tiny salary example that he used. Mm-hmm. So once you are that square with yourself, the universe or collective energy has no choice but to move to it right? because we are all energy first, right? So I think that's, that's something that we, we're just not aware of. We see these lessons all around us and we go, oh, they're so fortunate. It, rem- it reminds me, Gabe, of like Dumb and Dumber where they're, where, uh, right. Where, right, right. Where the, At the, the very end, we need, we need somebody to rub uh, <laughs> suntan lotion on us for all of our events. Like, well, the town is that way. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. when they, like, well, those... they say, and they say, boy, some guy, two guys are going to get very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I wouldn't give to be one of those guys. Yeah. That's how we all look at right. everything external. Right. Think everybody's got the gift. Everybody's got it better. We're all filthy rich with this time, but we got binders that dictate us or that we're allowing to control our own wealth. Yeah. Yeah, I I just think I still think that we I mean and and by the book by the way if you guys want to figure out how to start to undo those those binders but it's it's just it's such a it it it, it I feel so motivated hearing this, right? I feel so empowered to reexamine everything with the binders with the binder lens and what what really like as we're talking about this I'm thinking of where are the binders in my life? What are the things that I'm doing that interfere with the actual resonant joy of my soul? 
and I and and it's I'm very motivated to do that right now. But then life kind of beats us, right? Like the day to day, our decision matrix, just as the day goes on, we start to get to this place where the path of least resistance uh, makes the most sense. Um, and, and yeah, and, and there's a way actually to use those realities of life to your advantage. And it, it has to do with looking back through your own life. You know how you pick an age, pick an event, something that was very disappointing, you know, your first love, your 12, 13, and they dump you or they don't decide to go with you at all. So to speak, all those disappointments that were huge in that moment of time, right. isn't it interesting that in hindsight, they're absolutely nothing. They're laughable. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that that applies to everything. Death of a loved one. You look back and it's still it was tremendous then, and you may still feel the weight now. The point is, when we look back on so many different experiences of our life, we are aware of how they actually served us. Although at the moment, it felt only dark, but in fact, darkness has a way of serving. That is, that's the point. That's why most people don't want to work out at the gym. It's hard to consistently do it because it feels dark, so to speak, meaning negative. It feels, oh, it's painful. Mm. It's struggle. It's not, it doesn't seem fun. It's like eating broccoli or eating your vegetables as a kid, but it does serve. And in the case of that example, we're deliberately, some deliberately decide I'm going to face this experience for the outcome. Well, in our life, we are all going through these things that are serving us and when you recognize that they do serve, you lose fear going forward. So, so like you just said, how do I focus and follow joy when I got real life staring me in the face right. and me and I just can't. Well, once you really go back through these lessons that were right in front of your eyes and, and the book takes you into several of your personal examples, because a lot of things we're all we've all had similar experiences and some I might use an example of me. But the point is, we've all experienced these things and it's all it takes is a different perspective on that exact same experience and you go and the fact that that experience might have played out multiple times and your resulting energy from those experiences happens to be a certain way and it keeps doing that and you haven't applied what the lesson was and then once you apply it you go oh so that wasn't as bad as I thought that situation was teaching me this and it was and it was actually a loving way to keep trying to hammer that that into me so the point is when you when you realize everything is serving you Gib. Mm-hmm. This is the point. Then you stop, you cower a little bit less until it eventually becomes you cower a lot less to the binders because you realize, good or bad, I'm being served by this. So now let, let the fear dissipate. And what's ironic is... Is that like, is that like uh, Gandhi saying, I, or is it, I can't remember if it was Gandhi or Mandela's, I never lose, I either win or I learn? I mean, is it the same <laughs> basic much. concept? Pretty much. Pretty much the same thing. And what's interesting is as we sit here looking at all the divisive uh, stuff on the media, events in the world that are played up and overly dramatized to trigger us all even more. We think things are, 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 are so dark. And the question becomes, well, how do we get out of this? How does the world get better? Mm-hmm. It, it, it gets better one by one on the inside because we have differences that are not really differences, but they're made such because of lack of loving or awareness of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the self-love movement, people think, oh, well, no, I, I love my my pretty black skin in my case, or I love my body because I got more weight on me, or, or I love the fact that I'm LGBTQ or whatever. Not just like that. No, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's what your physical human experience is. 
How do you grow to love the essence that was even before you were this learned animated person? Once you understand the bigger force at play and how we're all connected, now you're so secure that you're learning on this journey and that this journey doesn't define you as, as a spirit or as the connection with God. It's funny, everybody's so religious, most people are, but yet they have a hard time grasping the notion that we are one with God or we're, so like the spirituality is kind of, it's cloaked, I mean, it's, it's covered by the binders of, of logic. And God is not something that's very logical. Right? Right. The, the, right. Us all being one is not logical. So we have we have this constant struggle. But but here's my point. My point is, the more you understand the perfection of your life and your journey, when you're able to connect those dots, you love and appreciate all those things for what they are. Mm-hmm. Your your appearance disparity, whatever it may be. If you have any disablements whatever those are, if you have any so-called physically perceived problems or limitations, you'll begin to understand the perfection of them for you. Mm -hmm. And when you have that, I'm no longer threatened that somebody's going to discriminate or be wrong to me because this is all, we're all in suits here. This is all part of my experience of learning and experiencing life anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to fear it so much. And therefore I'm not going to fear the fact that you look different. It's all about, you know, once you have that security, divisions start to crumble, right? So I'm, my little way of helping the world, and this is this is a labor of love for myself and for the love inside of me just for humanity, is to show us all our own mirror and that we're all so much more than we think we are and right. we all are actually more connected than we realize. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, I think, honestly, uh, I could talk to you for two and a half hours, but that is as good a place for us to to draw this to a close as any because I think that is that is what we all need to walk away from this with. Um, this idea that, that the whole world gets better when we can do this kind of work to find our soul resonant happiness, our soul resonant joy, I should say. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for your time, Aaron McCormick. The book, Unbounded, Journey to Your Within, link in the show notes. Uh, I'm going to ask you two last things. One is if people want to follow up with you, where can they? Well, the website is one. It's unboundedbook.com. Uh, obviously, social media, Instagram is the Aaron McCormick. Facebook is the same. Message me. Um, uh, happy to hear, talk to everybody. Link to the, to the website, the book, as well as uh, each of the, uh, the Facebook and the Instagram page will be in the show notes. So they're just one click away and you guys can follow up with Aaron. One last thing, and I ask it to everybody, Aaron, what is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? It sounds harder. It may sound easier said than done, but loving yourself more, understanding the perfection of your journey Despite the physical position you're in, physical money, physical health, physical everything, um, and, and then when you see that, the beauty of that, the beauty extends outward. So I just, I, I would just love to like wrap my arms around everybody and 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 have us all just appreciate that things are not as dark as they seem. And I do believe they're going to get a lot lighter. They're going to get a lot lighter. Aaron, we're going to have to have you on again. I hope that you uh, can make some time for us in the next few months and come back because I, I, I seriously want to just keep talking to you. Always a pleasure, Gabe. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today, and uh, we appreciate it. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you're listening right now, it helps us out a lot. I've been looking through some of the more recent uh, ratings and, and, and reviews, and I just want to tell you all, I appreciate it so much, all the positivity. Thank you guys so much. If you want to follow up with us, 
Facebook.com slash John Tesh. We go live there all the time. I mean, tons of videos are there. We are uh, we're, we're trying to interact with our audience there as much as possible. John is also on Twitter at John Tesh, on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. Links to those in the show notes. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Again, links to that in the show notes. Give me a follow. Give me a shout out. Uh, say hi to me on Twitter. DM me on Instagram. I try to respond to every comment, every message about the show. I even had a couple of uh, guests on here because of recommendations from you guys, the, the listeners. So please keep those coming because I do the show for you. You guys are the reason I get out of bed every day. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs>